I love that uh, you talk about the believers. It's not about what we do. It's just about who we are. And then chapter 13 of Hebrews is all about doing today. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting. The first 12 chapters, first 11 chapters, was all about explaining who Jesus was and that he was greater than Moses, he was greater than angels, he's greater than anything. So what you know about Jesus, believe it. Believe it, what you know about Jesus, because it's true. And it's greater than anything that you learned growing up about the old covenant. About the old covenant. That he's already said that the old covenant is obsolete because Jesus came along and he brought the new covenant in, a whole brand new covenant, and the plan changed. So he spent 11 chapters explaining that, and then last week he was just encouraging them to walk in obedience, which is what we do here, is like we just encourage you to walk in obedience. What is obedience? Obedience is just listening to the Spirit. There's, there's a spirit that lives inside of you if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. There's a Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, and he speaks to you, and he talks to you. And just as Scott said in Romans 8, 1, there's, he doesn't condemn you. He does convict you. He convicts you all the time, but he convicts you of your righteousness. He convicts you that you're holy, that he made you holy. Get this. It's not Jesus' righteousness. It's your righteousness. He made you righteous. All right. When God looks down, he doesn't see Jesus, Jesus is in you, but it's you he's made righteous. Like you're perfect, you're holy, you're redeemed. Yeah, you still make bad choices, I still make bad choices, I get that. But me as a person, what goes to heaven and is eternal is redeemed, completely redeemed, and there's nothing I can do to change that. Now, you get to the end of the chap, the end of the book of Hebrews, And whoever wrote this, we still don't know who wrote it. We still don't know where he's from. There's a lot of things that we don't know about Hebrews. It's just he's explaining to them, look, don't go back to the old covenant. If you go back to doing sacrifices in the temple, you could die. You could physically die. And you definitely don't want to do that. And so he's literally comes to a point where he starts telling them what to do. What to do. Which as you've just heard from Scott, it's like not something that we particularly do around here is tell you what to do. But there are times uh, when you just have to state the obvious. Because even though you have a spirit inside of you and the spirit leads you and guides you and everything, sometimes you still make the choice to follow your flesh. I still make the choice to follow my flesh and sometimes we just need to be reminded of what walking by the spirit actually looks like. But when you do things by the Spirit, such as this, two weeks ago I introduced to you a family, Validia and Irina, that live in Ukraine and their house has been destroyed because of the war. And we're working with with uh, Josh Baldonado, Jared's brother, who is does missions over there. And he's asked, "Can we help this family? Six thousand dollars to put a roof on their house." And I sent him like the first installment like that next day. And this is what he sent me.
That didn't take long. They're not done. Obviously, they're getting it done. But uh, the fact that they're getting the roof on because you guys over here in Indiana have blessed them financially is a pretty cool thing. So we're going to continue to send them money so they can get the roof done and get their ho- get back in there. They're in the house now. They're living in the house, but at least now they have a roof on it. But but he- here's what I'm saying is like, it, growing up, I would have said, I would have been taught, that's my responsibility to send them money and help missions and do these things and yada, yada, yada. And it's like, it's not that way anymore. It's like God gives us opportunities to uh, bless people and to encourage people and to w- continue to walk in their faith. And because of who we are, our identity in Christ, we just walk in obedience and we do these things and it, it's, it's a natural byproduct of being. Just, just be and you'll have, you'll have conversations that you wouldn't expect to have. You'll be, have people put in front of you that you never expected. Because that's the way the spirit works. It's like, just just be. Just You don't have to do all that stuff. Just be. And you'll read your Bible. You'll spend time alone. You'll, you'll want to know the Lord more. So let's get into chapter 13 and wrap up Hebrews today. He says, first of all, let brotherly love continue. Oh, man. If, 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 if you only knew... Like, I, I can't even know. I can read history. I, I can read history, and I can see that these Christians, these Jewish Christians, they believe that Jesus was the Messiah, and they're being persecuted by the Romans and by the Jews. And this is the time that Nero is the Roman emperor. And Nero was an evil, evil man. You'll hear more about him next week as we jump from Hebrews to Titus. And that whole period of time from like 65 to 68 AD and the things that he did that was just torture to Christians. Like they, he tortured them. And if you're going through crisis, if you're going through something that's just like you're being persecuted, you're being just beaten up. The one thing that you need is for like fellow people to come along and love you. Amen. I mean, that's the whole deal. It, 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 put a roof on, no big deal. But to to love those that are hurting around us right now, to to, to love inside of this community, he's like, let brotherly love continue. He says, don't neglect to show hospitality. For by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. When he's talking about welcoming angels, he's really referring back to Genesis 18, where Abraham hosted like three angels. You you never know what God's doing. I have a, the, my kids call my friend Andrew uh, the ketchup man. <laughs> because I was on a plane coming back from somewhere to Indianapolis coming home and I sat next to Andrew and he was like working for Red Gold Tomato or something like up in northern Indiana. They had an issue and he had to come here from out of town and I invited him to my house. So I brought this man from the airport (laughs) to my house and he hung out my house and the kids only know him as Ketchup Man. And we've had this relationship through Facebook and other things throughout the years that's just been encouraging to one another. I had no idea. I had no idea. 
And so that's what he's saying is, and the Lord kind of like said, okay, well, just ask the people today at Levener how you've received hospitality from one another this week. Anybody in the room receive hospitality from somebody this week in here? Yes, sir. Right on. You never know. Anybody else? Yeah. Which Dan? Dan, you're the worst. But you're perfect. Thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, Luke. Me and Mary had a bunch of us guys over and had a great time just hanging out. Tim Tim had guys over when? Friday night? Monday night? Then he had small group over at his house Thursday night. It's like you you've been hosting all week, Tim. Just nice job. Yeah. Right on. Nice job, Campbells. I'm still waiting for that dinner. (laughs) Yes, sir. Right on. I I don't know this stuff. I don't know what's happening within the group, and it's like, it's so cool because it, it, it happens. Let brotherly love continue. Don't neglect to show hospitality. It happens here. And that's all he's doing is encouraging these Hebrew Christians to do the same thing. He says, verse 3, Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated, as though yourselves were suffering bodily. The, the imprisoned, like Paul, he was imprisoned, and we know that Timothy was imprisoned because at the end of this chapter it says Timothy's been released from prison. We don't know where he was in prison or why he was in prison, but we just know he was in prison. But typically when they were in prison back then, they were dependent upon their family and friends to take care of them, like to feed them and to clothe them and stuff like that. It's like the prison didn't pay for that. And so he's like saying, you guys are going to be in prison because based upon your beliefs, make sure you take care of those that are in prison. This is how we minister to one another. It's just how we love one another. And then all of a sudden he jumps to to verse 4. It says, marriage is to be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. What? Wait, what? There's no condemnation. Hang on, let me break it down. Marriage is to be honored by all and the marriage bed kept undefiled, to be kept pure, to be unpolluted, to be untainted. Like literally right now he's stating the obvious. If you want to be healthy, if you want to be good, keep the marriage bed pure. This will be in contrast to what we watch on TV and movies and media and everything else where it's just like, it's all fair game now. I mean, it is literally, you can't watch TV without seeing just corrupt sexual relationships. 
It's just what we are learning in our head because of what we watch. And he's literally saying sex outside of marriage is destructive. That's what he's saying right here. Sex within the protective bounds of marriage can be really enriching and glorifying God. It's like if you take advantage of what God has given us in this blessing and keep it there at the marriage bed, man, it can be fantastic. But notice the identity of those that will be judged. He says God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. He's talking about those who habitually do this probably don't have the spirit of God inside of them. He's referring to the non-believers. They're the ones that will be judged because if you go back to what Scott said in Romans 8.1, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You're not going to be judged because, one, Jesus has already forgiven you of all your sins, past, present, and future. So you're going, well, what about the believer that's like having an affair? Well, I'm trusting that the Spirit's working on their life for the first thing. And if the Spirit leads me to, like, say something to them, to state the obvious, which I'm doing right now, I'm stating the obvious, then I'll do that. But I won't condemn them. I can't fix them. I can't change it. I can't change it. And you can't change it. It's the Spirit that has to change it. That whole marriage bed, it just, it mirrors God's relationship with his people. If your marriage bed is pure, people are going to know that and they're going to see that and they're going to see how God, how God influences and impacts your life. He says in verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money. It doesn't say keep your life from money. It's not saying money is bad it's saying keep your life free from the love of money be satisfied with what you have for he himself has said i will never leave you or abandon you he's literally quoting deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 right there he's like i got you i got you i know these bills need to pay i know you need to be fed i know you need housing i know you need a job trust him trust him And if you need to be fed, call me. I'll feed you. He's like, therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Oh, I love this part. What can man do to me? (laughs) That is Psalm 118.6. What can mortal man do to me? I, I Look, I realize that I'm in a position right here in this chair leadership and I can be accused of many things publicly that may not even be true. I mean I could I could literally be accused of things that I, I can't even imagine because it ha- it happens in our world all, all the time. And I could lose this seat right here. But I still have to go what's mortal man going to do to me? He can't take away what I have which is my relationship with Jesus Christ. I can lose all this. I can, I can lo- just like Job, lose my family, lose my house, lose my cows, all that stuff. But w- w- literally, what, what can mortal man do to me? He can't take away my salvation. He can't take away my relationship. He can. And 
Paul, he's, he's literally considering himself to be a wealthy man. We don't know if this is Paul writing this, but he's considering him, himself to be a man of like true wealth because he was literally content with what he had. I'm, he was content with being in prison. When you have God, that's all you need. I know, you make it sound so simple and easy and everything else, but honestly, it's the truth. In, in, in the midst of this economy, in the midst of this economy, we have to trust that God's going to provide because he already has, he has, and he will continue to do it. Verse 7 says, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. Mm, that's a lot of pressure on me right there. I'm okay with that. I'm not perfect in my behavior, and I'd be glad to show you that. Uh, if you just hang out with me for a while, you'll, you'll realize that, that I'm not perfect in my behavior. But the things that I believe, the things that I teach, and the things that I trust, I'd say go for it. I mean, he, he's already listed the heroes of the faith in chapter 11. And the, the leaders of the church are described here uh, less by their office and, the, and more by their teaching of the word of God. Like, uh, next week when we get into Titus and we talk about elders, you know, and the description of elders, we have five elders, myself being one, uh, because basically the government says that we have to have a leadership body. So we've appointed like five men that are my friends that uh, encourage me in my ministry and encourage me in my walk. They're the elders. But honestly, we have a room full of elders. Like you, you just sat here and described, you know, these people that are doing hospitality and teaching the word of God. And it's like an elder is somebody that you look up to and respect because of their faith in Jesus Christ. That's what an elder is. He's like, remember your leaders who have spoken the word of God to you as carefully observe the outcome of their lives. But let me say this. Don't become dependent on me or them. Don't. Like, you literally need to read this thing and figure it out yourself. I get it that you come here on Sunday mornings and you learn, and sometimes I'm spoon-feeding a lot of you in this room, but the sooner that I'm gone, the more dependent you become on him. And I'm telling you, never, never put your faith in the spiritual leader. Yeah, you can imitate him, you can watch him and everything else, but don't put your faith in me because I will fail you. I will fail you. All right, I will disappoint you. I will make you mad. Look to Jesus. It's the same thing that he has said all along in this scripture. Look to Jesus. Never build your life on any servant of God. Build your life on Jesus. Why? Because he never changes. It says, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and here, here, here's the other thing. His word doesn't change. Yeah, you get translations and interpretations and all this other stuff out of this book right here, but his word never changes. His spirit is inside of you, and it teaches you. This is really when he's saying, he's talking about Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's in reference to his divine nature. That's who he is, that he's holy, righteous, and redeemed, and he's done that for us. 
Verse 9, it says, don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. <laughs> for it is good for the heart to be established by grace. <laughs> for it is good for the heart to be established by grace and not by food regulations. Food regulations was the law. That's where the food regulations came in like Exodus and Leviticus and things like that in the Old Covenant. He's literally saying, if you're going to like listen to any teachings, listen to the teachings of grace. Not by the regulations, the food regulations, since those who observe them have not benefited. You can go and look and see those who live by the law, what good has it done them? They can do it for a while, like literally, if you go to the Sermon on the Mount, which Jesus spoke, those are red letters and everything else, and he's literally giving the law to the Pharisees. He's giving the law to the Pharisees, and he's saying some other things, the Beatitudes, which are beneficial for us. But he ramps up the law. You've heard it said, go one mile, I say go two. Okay, if, if you literally try to live the Sermon on the Mount, you can do it for a while. Yeah, good luck. You can do it for a while, but you will fail. And he's literally what he's saying right here, since those who observe them, they, they haven't really benefited from them. Doing the law is not going to get you anywhere. The only thing that gets you there is the grace that comes from Jesus Christ. I'm a very protective from this stage right here. I'm very protective. I'm pro- I always say this. I'm protective of two places in this building. Back there where the kids are, we're very protective where the kids are. And then I'm protective from what comes up here on the stage. And occasionally, you know, we'll get a, an off word or something, and, but we'll correct it. We'll correct it. I, I want you to hear the interpretation of grace from this platform, not a mixture of law and grace. Look, I still believe the Old Testament. I still read the Old Testament. I still study it. I know God. I learn from God from reading the Old Testament. But I am a new covenant believer, and I want to teach new covenant from the stage that he redeemed you and made you holy. So that whole mixture thing where you just kind of like tie it all together and you say, okay, you're saved by grace, but now you've got to do this. It's a, it's a crime by the church. Literally to say, okay, now that you believe in Jesus and you just got baptized, now you need to tithe and you need to get up and you need to work, you need to volunteer in the church, you need to do all this and yada, 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 and you just burn you out. It's kind of like, where is that in the scripture? And he says in verse 10, we have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle do not have a right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the most holy place by the high priest as a sin offering are burned outside the camp. The Levite priests were forbidden to eat from the animal sacrifices that were made for the offering that went into the Holy of Holies. They couldn't do it. And so what they would do is they would literally take those sacrifices and the remains from those sacrifices and they would take them outside the city walls of Jerusalem and they would burn them there. Because this is like the, the holy place. They burned him outside of the tabernacle. Now watch this. Verse 12, it says, Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate. Like, Jesus died on the cross outside of the gate. If you ever go to Jerusalem with me, if you ever go to Jerusalem with me, we take you to this place 
we take you to this place that's near the the tomb that we believe that Jesus was buried in. We can't have like literal proof of that. But you can see this hill, this Golgotha hill, that has two eyes and nose and a mouth. Which it literally says in the scripture that Golgotha looks like a skull. And you go, that, that has to be the place where he was crucified. That has to be the place where he was tortured. The Muslims have turned it into a parking lot below and above it. That's what they do over there is they... Catholics will build a church on it. Muslims will build a parking lot on it. Because Jesus isn't, you know, Jesus is important to the Muslims, but he is important to the Catholics, so they just want to build a big monument to him. And so, literally, Jesus went outside the walls of Jerusalem to be crucified, it says, so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. In other words, he wasn't about the regulation and the laws, but he was about the grace. It wasn't about the sacrifices that were being burned there, but outside it says, and then he says, verse 13, he says, let us then go to him outside the camp bearing his disgrace. Let us go to where there is grace by his disgrace. Let us go outside. Just as Jesus dies outside the camp, he's encouraging the Hebrew Christians right here to do the same thing. Don't go to the temple, stay outside, stay outside. It's where Jesus died. This is where the sacrifice was made. You're better off than going back to that temple that's going to be destroyed in 70 AD. Verse 14, for we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. The current Jerusalem at the time was only temporary. They knew there was a new Jerusalem that was to come because the prophecies have told. There's a new Jerusalem that's coming. This one's going to be destroyed. Verse 15, it says, therefore, Through him, let us continually offer up to a God a sacrifice of praise. What is our sacrifice now? It's not animals. It's praise. It's praise. You go, oh, well, that's singing. No, it's not just singing. Singing is praise. I get it. But it's you breathing. Just God's allowing you to breathe right now. To be able to talk, to be able to have conversations with one another, that's praising God. That it's the fruit of lips that confess his name. If you talk about Jesus, if you talk about God, you're praising. And that's the sacrifice that he's looking to. Not some offering up of animals. He's just saying, talk about Jesus, talk about God. Verse 16, it says, Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. The actions of knowing who we are are a sacrifice to God. Us being causes us to do, and that is a sacrifice to God. Putting a roof on Validia and Irina's house is a sacrifice to God. Your obedience, you listening to the Holy Holy Spirit is your sacrifice, and it's enough. It's enough. Verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief. For what? For that would be unprofitable for you. you I called Dan the worst. There's that video, and we, we've played it in here. I, I'm not playing it today, but the, the priest comes in and goes, just stop it, stop it, stop what you're doing, stop sinning, stop sinning. And he'd call people out like, you're the worst. It, that's, that's literally what this author's saying right here, just stop it. 
Well, th- there's a responsibility for me and those who are teachers and elders and leaders in here that we have to teach you the word of God. Amen. Now, if you go to James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. I'm going to receive a stricter judgment because I'm sitting here teaching the word of God today and trying to interpret it for you. And it's being recorded and being put out on YouTube. And you can go back, like Michelle Hernandez, like, this is is a funny story. She's like, I was listening to Mercy Me on Spotify this week. And all of a sudden you came on. She goes, why did you come on after Mercy Me? I'm like, I don't know. It's just a podcast. And she goes, you're on Spotify? I'm like, well, we put our podcast out there, and it goes to all the platforms. So, yeah, I'm on Spotify. She's like, you're famous. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not famous. I publish it ourselves. It's, and, and come to find out, she calls Cece, or Margo, her daughter, who's down in college in the south, Alabama, Mississippi, where is she? Alabama. And uh, she's like, I was listening to Mercy Me, and all of a sudden Rusty came on. And she goes, Mom, you're using my account, and I was trying to listen to Rusty's message, and you kept playing Mercy Me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, Margo, I love you. That you're in college and you've taken the time to listen to this message on the podcast. God bless you. He has blessed you. And uh, yeah, what is that? What I'm saying is what I'm teaching is out there in public. And it's the public. It's the public. It says, obey your leaders, submit to them since they keep watch over your soul's as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy, not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And then James 1 says, not many should be teachers because there's a stricter judgment for teachers. That judgment doesn't come from God because we go back to Romans 8.1, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's me. Where does the, the judgment come from? The world. <laughs> there's a stricter judgment on me as a teacher of the Bible because people are going, that's a bunch of baloney that you're teaching or you're teaching the wrong thing there's a stricter judgment on me judgment comes from those who sit under the leadership not from God what what brings joy to godly leaders what makes me just ecstatic is watching you guys grow spiritually watching you mature spiritually that's what get this is why we do it this is why we hang out this is why we teach and then you go well how do you measure maturity people always ask me well how many people you got coming to pinheads i don't care how many people i got it's like how do i measure their growing spiritually that's what i care about if there was two people in here i'd be okay with it i'm okay with it just like I just want the people that want the word of God and are going and digging this thing out and growing in their faith. Verse 18, it says, pray for us. We are convinced that we have a clear conscience wanting to conduct ourselves honorably in everything. As leaders, we need prayer. I'm telling you right now, I need prayer. Cover me. Believers who have this 
guilty conscience lack the ability to tap into the power and authority that they've been given. If you have guilt and shame and everything, it's like, man, you're having a hard time just praying. The guilt and shame can like totally destroy you. And so you need to pray that for me is that I can be have a clear conscience that I can be free of guilt and shame because how am I supposed to lead if I have a guilty conscience? Verse 19, it says, And I urge you all the more to pray that I may be restored to you very soon. He was writing to them because he was physically away from them, but he desired to be with them. Whoever this is. We don't know, again, who this is. And then he closes up Hebrews. Here's what he says. He says, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. To equip you. To equip you through Jesus Christ. Let me tell you right now. Whoever thinks that they're the worst in this room right now, based upon what you do, and you believe in Jesus Christ, he has already equipped you with everything that you need to read the Bible, to study the Bible, to even teach the Bible. He's equipped you. Because why? Because you have a Holy Spirit living inside of you. You're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're holy, you're righteous. He says, and that whole word, that whole word everlasting, confirming our eternal security in God's family. We are secure. I I can't lose my salvation. I can go off the deep end. I can just like publicly lose this thing. I'm not going to lose my salvation. Once I'm a child of God, I'm always a child of God. And understand this. I can go to seminary, I can get all the education, everything. It's not me who equips myself, it's God who equips me. That's it. It's God who equips me. I'm prepared, I'm prepared, I study and I pursue. Verse 22, it says, Brothers and sisters, I urge you to receive this message of exhortation, for I have written to you you briefly. (laughs) Brief, it's taken me five months to get through Hebrews. (laughs) Go back and listen to it. I exhort you to go back and listen to it over and over. Be aware that our brother Timothy has been released. Again, I said this earlier, he was in jail. I don't know where, I don't know why, but he's been released from prison. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who are from Italy send you greetings. Ooh, wait. Does this mean he's in Italy like Rome? No, doesn't necessarily mean that. You can interpret it as that, but maybe he's just in contact with those Christians that are in Rome. But he says, greetings from those who are in Italy. Verse 25, he closes with this. Grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. I mean, literally... 13 chapters, five months, and you're just going to wrap it up with grace be with you all. Grace being the desire and the power to do God's will on a daily basis.
that's you. You've been given it. Just walk by his spirit. Mediocrity will never allow us to experience life abundantly. If the church continues to teach mediocrity, nobody wants what we have. If the church continues to teach law and grace and food regulations and do this and do that, nobody wants what is truly being offered by God. He says, grace be with you all. Grace be with you all. May you walk on in faith and grow in maturity. God, I thank you for this letter that 2,000 years later, a totally different situation, a totally different economy, a totally different world, it still speaks to us that it is about grace. It's about Jesus. It's about what you have done for us. May we truly see that. May you awaken your church to the goodness of grace. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.